I'm Evelyn Glennie, and you're listening to the Evelyn Glennie Podcast. Today, I'm talking to a musician who has really influenced me as a player. Nicholas Daniel is the world's leading concert oboist who has created such an extraordinary body of important works for his instrument. And I had the good fortune many years ago of collaborating with Nick on the first ever double concerto for oboe and percussion called Two's Company by the wonderful Thea Musgrave. So let's get listening. So, Nick, I have to say for years I've been a massive admirer and of course we've worked together on a few occasions. It's been wonderful. I love and playing with you. It's so percussion hasn't put you off, has it? Oh, no, I love it because um, it's just this, the whole, when you get all those colour possibilities, it's so inspiring when you have, like with Thea's, Thea Musgrave's concerto for us, that all those different sounds that I have to try and make on just one instrument. Yeah. It's very inspiring and it gives you a, a, a sonic palette, which is, which is, uh, it's challenging and inspiring. It's, it's great. And we've been kind of near neighbours for a while as well. I sort know, of. <laughs> I know. But when you are collaborating with other people, do you find that you change as a player? I mean, what you give, the sound colours, the exploration, the discoveries? Well, you have to. Mm. And if you don't, you're doing something wrong. I, I always think of it... Uh, in terms of with my students as a teacher because I'm a, I teach in Germany and I d- have been doing some teaching in London as well but it's a bit difficult to find a regular time for it but um, in a way each student that comes through the door when you're teaching one to one needs a slightly different teacher sometimes a radically different teacher sometimes they need um, somebody who'll be a kind of uh, mirror well they actually they always need that but sometimes they need to play through without too much intense um, scrutiny just to kind of feel a flow sometimes they need therapy <laughs> yes. sometimes I mean it's it's amazing how how you do have to be and sometimes you have to switch from being um, a listening feminine to being listening male and this I think there are big differences in those things I think they the mm. words don't mean as much as <laughs> oh, we have a food van. We so we've got plenty of cake on the table. <laughs> but we, we, so you didn't, uh, right, a, <laughs> we've got an orchestra hilarious. of food vans that oh, come really, here. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> I've got an orchestra of them. Um, Is that a noble sound? Is it clear? Not quite. <laughs> <laughs> come on, you did it. You did it really. <laughs> I didn't do the jingle, honestly. It wasn't me. Um, so, yes, uh, but absolutely when you perform with different people and also in different settings, you know, you have to make different quantities of sound different you know sometimes you have to use your body in a very different way and as soon as you start to change sound you start to use your body in a different way Mm. and that means that things in your mind change because with the oboe with the resonance of the oboe it's all inside the head i don't know how much people know about about my instrument it's it's kind of a crazy thing i call it puffing down a twig because <laughs> <laughs> the reed is so tiny and so resistant. Mm. When you're a big boy like me, yep. you've got a lot of air, a lot of pressure, but we use hardly any of the air, but under quite high pressure. Mm. So it's a question of, first of all, having a high pain threshold. <laughs> <laughs> Secondly, of, of being able to mentally relax enough to be able to deal with any physical pressures. Um, and as much as anything else, it's, it's kind of like, vibra- it's all about vibration. 
because the reed that so you put the reed in the top of the of the w instrument that's made of an African black wood called impingo, and the reed is made from a kind of sort of like a bamboo that grows mostly in, in hot wet countries like the south of France the Camargue and um, we make the reeds I'm not going into that that's too boring but it, we do make the reeds I mm. do make the reeds but um, the reed vibrates very much like vocal cords vibrate so the air is passed through the reed with the lips and the, the, and the cushioning the teeth and then it's vibrating so the vibrating air is going down the oboe and then to the audience but in addition the vibrating air is going backwards to inside the body because it's still vibrating oh, interesting. So, it, so your whole sinus cavity space the way you use it the way you use your throat and your actual body if your if your bo body posture is good affects the sound and also the projection of the sound and obviously with mm. an instrument like the oboe it's you know it's not a sort of loud thing like a soprano voice exactly or sort of like a Wagnerian soprano but it is very focused and if you use the resonance like I do, it's possible to write a really big orchestra, like with John Woolrich's Oboe Concerto, which he mm. wrote a massive orchestration for. He doesn't use it against me, but um, oh, the piece, I mean, that's an amazing piece. But uh, So it is possible with resonance to actually fill the Arbor Hall with sound mm. without any amplification. I mean, when we performed Thea Musgraves mm. two's company, you yeah. know, for oboe and percussion, and, and I had quite a large percussion setup, mm -hmm. you know, and you're yep. always concerned about balance and things like that. But that was really the first time that we had worked together in a solo capacity. Yeah. And I could not believe the expanse of sound really? and the physicality <laughs> of, of your playing. Well, do you remember our first rehearsal? I do remember. Because it was... <laughs> Because, I mean, you'd never played with an oboe like that before. Well, and once you remember to, to bring it along, yes. Oh, did I forget it? Uh, yes. I had to go back. And oh, did I? Oh, please. You're I spent hours me. setting up my instruments and did you I came along with an empty my oboe? case. No. Yes. Do you know, I, for some reason, I've completely blanked that from oh, my memory. Oh, well, there That's we go. That's not going go. in the memoirs, shall I just say that? Oh, dear. Well, luckily, I lived close. I think probably I've been up with one of the children sick all night. The dog had done a doodah in the kitchen. Um, <coughs> that was, those were the, the straight oh, days. Yeah, but no, it was <laughs> <laughs> now it's you know what's going on. Where's anyway? But yeah, but the thing is, it was fascinating the rehearsal because it it took a certain change. Uh, it took time for you to sort of read the sound, and then and we were working on it, and and, and we and it was going fine. And then and I said, well, I'll, I'll come back tomorrow and we'll do some more. The next day. You didn't even look at me. Mm. You played absolutely everything exactly with me, mm. and I, and I it just it, it was almost as though you'd learnt that overnight in your sleep you'd learnt <laughs> the sound. It, I, I've told a lot of people that story because Whoa. it was it was I mean before you were do, watching for visual cues the day one, day two you didn't even look at me. I mean it wasn't mm. offensive. It's never. Mm, it's never I know. Anything. I always want to look at you. No, but you know it's. It was amazing, and I thought, gosh, that's about reading, isn't it? That's how you read it. That's how you, mm. your, your, and and also I, the, yeah, the oboe is a, is a, is incredibly. If you look at it on an oscilloscope, which shows you the picture of the sound, it's an incredibly full series of vibrations. So you mm. get lots of vibrations from the top and the bottom, mm. um, and and so the closest thing to it is actually a soprano saxophone, which is. You know, it's, it's slightly similar, but it has a few of the vibrations, the areas, the hertz missing. 
Um, but the oboe is the oboe is uh, very full sound, which is why it's used to tune the orchestra. The the tuning yes. note for the uh, for the for the orchestra is given from the oboe because it kind of cuts through. I say cuts so through like a hot knife through I butter. I know. <laughs> well, I mean, I remember also playing Veni Veni Manuel by James Macmillan mm. with the Britain Symphonia, yeah. and you were playing the oboe. Yes. you know, yeah. in the woodwind section. You loved it. And I, I can't tell you again the the difference, the presence. Mm, it's, you know, amazing. you always think the double bass is the, the mother of all instruments yeah, and yeah. it really, or the tuba or yes, something, yes, and the, it the just grounding, lifts yeah. everything. And I really found that it's, you instantly knew you were in the orchestra. Really? Definitely. Well, thank you. That's a huge, that's a Definitely, huge thing. Yeah. But I remember talking about the double bass. Ooh. I remember you doing oh your grade God. one double oh bass. Oh my heavens! The air oh was blue. The, <laughs> <laughs> the air was blue. It was when white outside because it was snowing. It remember? Was snowing. <laughs> we did it at, at the, my children's <laughs> piano teacher's house near Cambridge, and when you came out, oh. she said, "Oh dear, I may have sworn a wee bit." <laughs> oh my! Well, it was for grade one of them. It was for grade one of them, which was raising money the for most each. enormous amount of money each. Yeah, the East children's hospitals. Absolutely, and you did the guitar grade one guitar. I did. It's so funny because I, I've never practiced anything so much in my yeah, whole life. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true, but it's funny the emotions, though. The emotions of really wanting to do well and caring about mm. a situation. Oh, yeah. You know, and, it's quite stressful. Terrible pride. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I think And so. imposter syndrome. <laughs> Oh dear! Well, but that was great, though. But, but I mean, you said how much you loved playing the double bass because you could—it was right, right close to your body in that way, you Absolutely. know, on your body. Really. Well, yeah. your 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 your—I mean, all elements <laughs> of it is—is is, I mean, you're you're practically knocked over by it. In and a I way, remember saying, "But how have you been practicing? Because you've been on tour." And she, I said, "Did you put one in the van?" He said, "No, I couldn't do it. I just no. used to go to orchestras and steal the double bass and practice on I it." I know. I mean, I remember oh. being with the Strasbourg Phil, and and I went to the bass section and I said oh please please could one of you maybe just give me a five minute lesson you know that's and cheeky cheating well, that is <laughs> well we had to find our own lessons because remember we, we got did. one we did and lesson. I wasn't free for the lesson either and then yes we had to find our own way and this very kind gentleman he said of course of course I'll help and he gave me about half an hour of his time and, and that was when he said oh the double bass is the mother of all instruments of, yes which well, is interesting it's a gorgeous instrument and, and when I'm conducting I have to say I find that the, the it's a crucial balance between double basses and cellos. I mean, if the cellos and double basses are in octaves, if they're playing the same music but on eight notes apart, then I love to have a tiny bit more double bass than cello. Obviously, mm. if the cello's got the melody, mm. double basses are supporting, you've got to let the melody through. Mm -hmm. But I find there's a crucial, there's actually, I'm sure there's, a, I don't know the percent, the mathematical percentage, but I have a sort of feeling in my body when it's right. Mm. Uh, but some conductors are like double basses, just always too loud, too loud. Shut ah, up, double basses. Others are particularly older conductors who lose their lose their hearing a bit as they get older. Yeah, they yeah. can't hear the double basses enough, so the mm. double basses are sweating away, yes. <laughs> trying to make enough sound. Yeah. So very often you'll see, if it's an older conductor um, with slight hearing loss, you'll see mm. the double basses looking as though they're working very hard but then mm. he goes yes that's great but actually they're not making so much noise they're just mm. acting it a bit yeah yeah but um yeah it's and funny isn't it it yeah. is interesting that because i mean again in my own case i i like to be on the cello bass side so yeah. i love putting the marimba on that side partly to differentiate the 
the pitch range of the marimba and the violin and the violin. The viol violas, yeah, but you mm. really do feel a lot more you know. yes well that's very interesting i hadn't thought of that i mean i generally because the oboe as an instrument was invented in the 17th century in order to be part of the violin section so many oboe concertos the the oboe and the violins sort of follow a similar line the violins commenting mm. on the oboe's material mm. um and so it's quite nice for me to be near the violins in that way. But I, I might try going over the cello side once and yeah. see how that feels. Thank you for Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Good never idea. Know. Yeah. Mm. Is the oboe always made of the same kind of wood? Um, mostly, yes. Mm. It's changed over the years. It was originally made of, of boxwood, which is actually grown a lot in this country. In fact, there's a, a man in Cambridge called Daniel Bangham who runs <laughs> Wood, Wind and Reed, a music shop. Mm. And they have he's bought a boxwood forest in Berkshire. Oh. Because he bought the company Dolmetsch, who make recorders, very, very famous old recorder company. And he also makes classical clarinet. So the oboe was first made of boxwood, which is a light wood. And then it went through various different stages. But now it's made of a wood called Mpingo or African blackwood or mm -hmm. grenadilla. But Mpingo is the, is the correct term for it. And it comes from Mozambique and Tanzania. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm rather proud to be the patron of a trust in Tanzania called Sound and Fair, which is now actually not no longer a charity because they're an actual business, mm -hmm. uh, which is, of course, was the ambition. And it got funding from Comic Relief um, some years ago to plant and to nurture um, the countryside where these trees grow. It's an extraordinary wood. It sinks in water because it's so heavy. Oh, goodness. You can't use normal metal tools on it. You have to use special diamond-tipped cutters because mm -hmm. it's so hard. Um, it It is known as the singing wood, and almost all clarinets and oboes are made of it. Interesting. And also bagpipe chanters. Oh, you might be interested yes. in that as yes. a sport. Yes. And violin uh, chin rests and sometimes fingerboards. Oh, so um, it is, but it's a very interesting wood. And the thing is that the wood, it's a very hard wood, as I say, and very and very heavy. But um, at the same time, it has this extraordinary ability to ring strongly, to vibrate very, very, you know, piercingly. So it's got this incredible, without a huge amount of sort of pressure. Well, it's, it's back pressure, but it, it, without a huge amount of, of actual volume, it's able to cut through. Mm, mm. Um, but uh, this this charity to Sound and Fair is is a remarkable thing. Actually, as I say, it's no longer a charity. But mm. what they did was they discovered that they needed to support the communities where the wood was growing. Mm -hmm. So they organised teams of lawyers, and they allocated pieces of of the land to the people who were living on the land. They gave it to them. Many of these people are living were living in in extreme poverty. Mm. Many of them were unable to read and write. And so they had teams of advocates who would witness that this X on this paper is the X of this man who now owns this piece of land. <laughs> so they gave them stewardship and ownership of the land. Extraordinary. Now, mm, I know, it really, it's a very moving story to me because, I mean, before I got involved with this charity, which was through, through, uh, through a friend of a friend, and it just... I just couldn't believe it. I'd never looked down at my instrument and thought, well, it grew from the ground. I mean, that's so stupid. How could I not have done I must have done it at some time, but it, well, I wasn't... A, now I look at it, I mean, if, unless I'm playing something very complicated, I look at it and I think it grew from the ground. Mm. Slowly. It grows mm. slowly. It takes 100 years to grow. I think about 100 years. 
Anyway, um, the so the there's now ownership of the land, and of course they've gone from from approximately earning four. Um, how much was it? Four cents, I think it was, for the three pieces of wood that make an oboe to make to making over twenty dollars for that wood. Now this is an instrument that costs ten thousand euros approximately, but. So it doesn't sound like very much, but the thing is, there's quite a lot of wastage with the wood, and yes. it doesn't all turn out to be good. But it's, so it's still a quite an important part of the cost of making instrument. But that's life-changing increase in money. Absolutely. So you're talking about education. You're talking about education, particularly for young women, mm, uh, mm. for girls, which is which is who are the last to be educated very often in some of these countries. Mm -hmm. You're talking about healthcare. You're talking about um, protection against malaria, against HIV. So, you're uh, what? What my friend always says: it's all about happy Africans. Yes. And I love the is. idea that if you have wood that's been grown by happy people, mm. that it might end up feeling better for you to play, or maybe it's uh, psychological. I don't no, know. Maybe I'm just no, no. I, I actually an intuition about it. Absolutely, and I do understand that being a percussion player, mm, of, course, of course, where so many things are made of wood or skin, yes, and, exactly. and goodness knows what yeah. all. So, and take time. To mature and develop, and mm -hmm. as you say, there can be wasted material as well. You know, well, it's interesting because with the oboe, um, there is there isn't a single instrument that's made in less than five years, because the wood is seasoned and stepped, uh, kept in a, a storage, humidity-controlled storage place for five years. Mm -hmm. And I did um, with this charity. I did at one time play an instrument that was the world's first fairly traded oboe. <laughs> it's it's kind of outlived its. Um, well, it, it doesn't quite, they get tired after a while, after four or five years, and, and then I changed make, but, and I'm, I'm working on persuading my new maker to work with, with um, well, it's actually the Forestry Stewardship Council, the FSC, um, but you probably know about the CITES ruling and about the, mm. the, this whole change that's been made in the importation of, yes. of um, endangered woods. So that's a different subject, we perhaps don't need to get into that, but it is troubling in yeah, some ways, but yeah. obviously important. But it's fascinating how um, it's now so successful, this business, Sound and Fair, that it's now, uh, in Tanzania, it's actually unable to be a charity because they've even got their own sawmill. Oh, and before, the wood was being sent from Africa to Germany, before it was cut into the right shapes. And so now they're selling it with all those. So the latest thing that's happening is that my oboe company have agreed to accept 10 sets of wood which I'm going to store for five years. Presumably, I'm, I keep hold on to my teeth and I can still play <laughs> in five years. Um, <coughs> and they're going to make those. They're going to make those into oboes for me uh, over a period of time. So I will be playing wood that comes from my own charity. These, these things matter so much, don't they? You know, well, their they provenance and they do. But I think that's what makes you, you in a way, is this sort of awareness of, of the whole process of not just being a musician but you know what is the object that you're playing mm. what does sound mean to people you know listening to yourself mm. and all of that sort of thing and i mean i remember when you won the young musician of the year and you were You've 18 got a long years memory oh well <laughs> you know we're much the same age give yeah. or take yeah. and uh and so in a way i feel as though i've grown up with you yeah ditto and <laughs> yeah no my word and and you know 
And you mentioned earlier about, you know, when you're teaching, that it isn't just about teaching the oboe. You know, one minute you can be a psychologist or a, or a, a you know, a, a, a mum or a dad, a yes, parent, exactly. a, a, a carer. And that's entirely to do with how you're listening. Yeah. So, and, and it's not just listening to them, it's also listening to yourself. Because sometimes somebody can come in and they play in a certain way or they do a certain gesture which pushes a certain button in you. Mm. And you have to make sure that without in any way stultifying your natural response, that it is filtered through, um, uh, always through care, through, through being care, caring and, and kindness. And in the overall pattern you have for that student's overall trajectory as an artist, where they have the potential to go to, which you never quite know how far they can go. And often when they finish studying, you discover they've got more potential than you even you thought they had. Mm. Studying mm. is really hard. I think studying is really hard. I think it's people don't understand that if you choose to study an instrument at a music college, and I, I don't mean university, because even though they do degrees, what you're doing is you're holding up a mirror every single day mm. to something that you can't do. Because you don't just keep playing pieces you can play. You're always mm. learning pieces you can't play. Mm. So it's a constant... Uh, state of being faced with uh, what you can't do of improving the things in your own playing technically that need improving like people might need to work on their trills or their vibrato or their intonation or their sound or their um, the general evenness of technique those things are con you know, they, they, as mm -hmm. a student they're constantly being improved but actually about understanding style and, and um, uh, the appropriateness of the era the piece was written in we've got four centuries of music now mm. we can play mm. so which is a great privilege of course but you have to play it in a stylistic stylistically a sensitive way mm -hmm. on an instrument that wasn't even imagined when it was music was that music was written some of it for me if it, i'm always attentive if people sound egotistical so if I, somebody does something for the sake of themselves it pushes my buttons because my whole my whole thinking is about that it's it comes through me not from me the music it comes it, it we're, we're like Janet Baker says in, in that in that book full circle um, the, the music has to come through you it touches you and some some music touches you more than others but as soon as you're playing yourself I mean improvise improvisation is a different matter mm. that's but even then you you can be channeling absolutely, um, absolutely. but that's but it, if you're making it up on the spot even if you've planned that's something different but then if you've got the responsibility of the composer that always comes first for me yes and i think that's you know the, the very prevalent when you play new music i mean you're one of the the biggest if not the biggest commissioner of of solo oboe repertoire yeah i mean truly <laughs> and and it's it's yeah. interesting because your dedication to composers is is extraordinary and and as you say, you serve the composer, yep, you, you communicate with the composer yeah. all the way, even past the performance stage. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because pieces you, grow. I mean, you know what, it must be such a lonely life. I mean, they, they, do, they do have partners and spouses and things, but <laughs> still, I mean, I remember going to, you, you mentioned Thea Musgrave, who's a, a composer we've, we've been lucky enough to play. Mm. Um, and I've been many times to her little flat in Lo Los Angeles. In fact, she's lived she's in her 90s now but she's lived um, really quite humbly in terms of of uh, as a very successful composer in terms of where she's worked so in fact in she has a they have a place in new york because 
um, she was teaching there for many years and she, and she, she the weather it matters to her so um, Los Angeles I mean it's literally a one bedroom flat and then one bedroom with a bathroom and then an open space it's got a great view um, but it is it is a one bedroom flat where she and her husband live together so she said well I just roll out of bed and there's my table and I start writing <laughs> and there's no workroom there's no sort of glamorous studio with all glass and uh, no. you know sort of zen sculptures oh no <laughs> It's. I mean, there's like there's like sort of chocolate covered coffee beans on the table and like yeah. biscuits and, and like uh, old chicken legs and things and uh, and uh, and you sort of go well, where do you work? And she said, well, I'll show you. She takes me into her bedroom, and she says, this is this, this tiny desk, and she says, I write everything here. Brilliant. And I, 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 I couldn't believe. It. But actually, what's rather wonderful is that they they sort of consolidated property in New York and they managed to buy. I believe it was Stravinsky's old apartment in the Ansonia building. Oh. So, I mean, you should see, uh, it's still only a, I think it's a one-bedroom flat, but it's got, she actually has her own working room for the first time. But you're absolutely right that, for me, I mean, I think it's, it must be such a lonely life, in a way, because your, co your work is constantly staring. So, she, I'd always say to Thea, so, how, how's, how, how's it going? She's just written a, a trumpet concerto for Alice in Barcelona, and that's been done at the Hollywood Bowl next this year Goodness. and she's she's writing an opera now and she's with 91, her own 92 90, years old 91 with her own libretto and it's it's a sort of gender bending story uh, mm. virginia wolf orlando mm. which is actually has just been uh, has been written by another another composer but it's fascinating to see how she's like still working in a yes. disciplined way so i say how's it going and she writes she writes me an email with emoji note 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 and then a glass of red wine <laughs> <laughs> but you know it is fascinating because we all work differently we all have different needs mm. and so on but you know the listening internally of what happens not just as we're standing at the side of the stage or walking onto the stage um yeah. but what are our needs and the whole preparation aspect mm. and sometimes less is more yeah you certainly know, can we're be bombarded with so much at this point yes that's true that's true and i think you know funnily enough i was looking at your your questions what five sounds would i take to a desert island <laughs> and i was thinking about it and the other night i came home from a, a very long day and i drove from the station to my house and it's i live in a little a sort of little suburban um, house where there's a school nearby and there's a, a play a little kids playground in front of it so I, it's very it's lovely for me to to practice and watch the kids playing on the swings with their with their parents and carers I, I love that and I love the sound of it too because it's not so lonely and but then again I value silence absolutely more and more mm. but I got out of the car and all of a sudden it was like I suppose it was early January and there was this extraordinary bird song and I thought it was like 9 30 at night i thought what is singing what is that incredible song and um i actually took a f recording of it on my phone <laughs> and put it on facebook <laughs> and everybody said oh that's a robin it was a robin wow. and i i was just mesmerized by it so mm. i was thinking what five sounds would i because you know i like to think about things thoroughly so I was thinking, well, it's, it's no, a desert never. island. It's actually, so it's a desert island. So it's got sand and it's got heat, and it's, which is all glorious. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I just, I realized in thinking about it that three of the sounds I would take would be birdsong. Because for me, the sound of the blackbird 
is is an amazing sound mm. and also my f my first music that we ever listened to at home was not music it was birdsong because my parents were uh, my father was a great ornithologist and he had he must have had an amazing ear because we had a, a box set of, of of lp singles of 100 100 british birds and he used to put them on sit in his chair with a cigarette and a glass of whiskey <laughs> and he'd say you know oh greater throated something warbler and i go <laughs> yes <Yeah, so laughs> all these different birds and then he just i mean it wasn't that he knew the me because i used to put different ones on in different orders <laughs> and to test him he he just knew them all that's amazing but then when he when he died and and he um he'd had it's very interesting and it, it, it was a terrible death but it was uh, he had five years after he he got uh, laryngeal cancer mm. and He'd always been an amazing raconteur. I mean, I, he used to tell. I can't. I don't do joke telling. I know lots, lots of funny and stupid things have happened to me. Like You're a great storyteller. Well, I, I love you stories, are. but not You've jokes. I can't do well. A doctor went. A man went to the doctor and said, "What's the?" You know, I can't do all that. <laughs> That's just. I don't know. But my dad was great like that. But the thing is, he had to have his voice box removed. Oh, yeah. So he then couldn't speak. And I mean, we all oh. learned to lip read, and the children learned to lip read him incredibly. In fact, one of my children once said, Daddy, what does this word mean? I can't repeat to you the word. And I said, where did you hear that terrible word? Uh, he said, Granddad said it. Grandpa said it. And I said, mm, Grandpa doesn't talk. Yes, he does. <laughs> he had no voice, but, no, but the children did. heard him. Yeah. Just through, they learned really quickly to enjoy it also, who I was married to at the time, could lip read him brilliantly. Mm. So when he died, which was five years later from, unfortunately, completely separate new primary cancer which was very odd um rather than a, an associated secondary mm -hmm. um i didn't play music at his funeral i played 10 minutes of blackbird song oh wow in the little church up wonderful. in warboys where his ashes are and um and you could see people at the beginning sort of going oh this is <laughs> getting irrit after five minutes it was a bit like hearing i don't know sort of minimalist music yeah. and and then you suddenly go oh well, i might as well just relax and let it go and then and everybody at the end was just like oh that really was jeremy yeah it really yeah. was my dad how interesting and um so do you think that whole sound world influenced your decision to try the oboe i mean how did that i had no about? choice in that Oh. No, the grandmother, my, my mum's <laughs> mum. The grandmother. Yes, yeah, she said the boy must play my play the oboe. My mother said, "What the beeps an oboe?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Yes, it all came to me through singing actually, because I was oh, we okay. lived in 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 um, in Hitchin, and uh, where my father sold cars, and he he later spent the whole of the last part of his career as a prison officer mm. in Winchester. Um, my mother was a home help and did old ladies' feet. Um, oh. I remember once playing with Jeremy Menuhin and suddenly freaking out, thinking about his whole musical heritage. <laughs> yeah. And and then I thought, oh well, you know, I'm doing all right, so I'll just not worry about it. Um, <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Um, these things that go through your head. But yeah, so and and I, we'd been. My family were churchgoers, and um, the choir at Hitchin at that time was really very good. And my mother got this thing about me going to a cathedral school because one of her sisters had sent her son Charles my cousin Charles to to King's College Cambridge so I tried to get into King's College Cambridge because it's not that far from Hitchin it seemed practical 
Unfortunately, I failed the academic test. <laughs> oh, I don't believe. <laughs> you probably wrote something rude or said no, something. I or, yeah. How do you think you know me? Yes, you know me. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't know what happened. I mean, I just probably freaked out. I'd never done anything like that. Mm. I mean, I went to sort of, uh, it was very strange. And then I went to, to Salisbury where my mum's sister, in fact, my cousin Charles's mum, uh, lived. And I, and I auditioned. I had to read from the Bible, which, of course, I did with great theatricality. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, play my, and play the piano and sing. And in order to be a chorister at Salisbury, you had to play two instruments. Mm. So the grandmother said, the boy must play the oboe. The mother said, what the beeps, an oboe. <laughs> and, and it was to be, that's what it was to be. And it, it was extraordinary because I had a very, very, very good teacher who's famous for bringing people on really quite quickly. And I'd done, I suppose I did, I think I did grade four within about three months of starting. Goodness. Then grade five. And then I did grade eight within 18 months after I started playing the oboe, which is... That's amazing. Yeah, it was very quick. Probably a bit too quick, actually. But considering how, you know, the the pressure of just creating a sound. Yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it just, I think the whole key to it is my, is my ear. And I sang incredibly easily mm-hmm. and you get trained in how to sight read I and mean, my sight reading is amazing thank goodness mm. um and you get trained to be a chorister you're you're performing seven times a week yeah. you have one day off in the middle of the week and you sing three times on sundays and that's all the way through to easter and christmas the amount of material you get through as a as a as a, as a boy or girl chorister mm-hmm. is increasingly more girl choristers too thank goodness so they should have those opportunities absolutely. too absolutely um but it was amazing. So the oboe just seemed to just go alongside my singing. Hmm. And then later on, when my voice started to change, I just didn't want to practice so much. And it was as though hmm. the two things slightly diverged. You know, I have two recurring dreams, one of which is that I can breathe underwater, <laughs> which is a bit like <laughs> what playing the oboe is like, Absolutely, actually. Absolutely, with your circular. And the other one is that I, well, I don't, you try not to use circular breathing too much because it looks a bit yes looks i a bit understand horrible. what you mean yes, actually it, circular breathing for the for the uninitiated listener is when you puff air out of your cheeks um, and breathe in through your nose at the same time mm. i shan't demonstrate because it sounds like i'm blowing raspberries <laughs> but um it's actually not it, it's it's a useful thing because it means you can sound continuous it's Absolutely, continuous comes yeah. from snake charmers but yeah. um yeah so the in the end, the whole thing about where was I? I got I lost my track now. Where was I? So basically, you were, um, you, you were, your voice had lowered. Oh yes. So my voice slightly the, separated. Oh yes. So the two, I know, two recurring dreams. I can dream underwater. I can breathe underwater, mm. and that I can still sing in my vo- boy voice. Ah, okay. And part of me, even now, age nearly sixty, two, two years from sixty, but still grieves a little bit for the mm. loss of that voice and sometimes mm. if i'm hearing something wonderful in the car i'll sing along mm. and i'll try and i just it just doesn't go high anymore so to play the korongli is that something that you know because it is a slightly lower yeah i, I never right owned one until i was pitch. about i won one in a competition actually when i was about 22 mm. um then i yes i've always played the korongli and i love playing it and it yes how interesting I've still got a fairly high ma- male voice. It's slipping a bit as I get older. Probably all the <laughs> vodka. No, I don't drink vodka. At all. No, um, uh, but it does change as you get older. Your voice, but mm. and your singing voice too. I sing a lot in Latin, mm. but I think those two things are rather telling. Those two dreams that that first of all, because you have to spend so much of your life as an oboist being okay with feeling slightly out of not out of breath, but like 
the breath is moving slowly. Yeah. And uh, I'll tell you a little story. I was I had um, a spider bite oh. in my upper arm. I know it was a spider bite because there were two holes. Oh, yes. I was yeah. in Poland and my arm, I got cellulitis in my arm. Oh, my gosh. I was in Hinchinbrook Hospital and they brought in a machine to check my pulse. You know, the machine they, they put on your finger and all that. And uh, alarm goes off. And they go, they come in and they say, are you all right? I said, yeah, I'm fine. So, oh, the machine must be broken. Sorry. And so they took it out and they brought another one in. It's on my finger. I've left it. And I, seen, I they said I seem to be fine. And then, again, the alarm goes off. And and she, she came back and she said, well, that that can't be right. Why are you only breathing four times a minute? Oh. And I said, well, I'm an over. She said, you're a what in my what now? <laughs> And the thing is that when my, my resting respiration rate, I mean, for me, it's perfectly normal to breathe out for 30 plus seconds. Mm. So I can breathe in for about sl really slowly for about probably 25, 30 seconds. So that's one breath a minute. That's amazing. And really. actually I was breathing for me quite fast at four breaths a minute. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like in and out once every t seven. I mean, that's for me, human beings are like taking wasp breaths yes. most of the time. <laughs> I mean, it's just like insects. Like <laughs> and for me, it's like... Yeah, that's extraordinary. You can just do really slow and then, you know... Does that affect other aspects of your life? I mean, even Maybe. even when you're standing at the side of the stage, is, I'm assuming yeah. how you're breathing, you, Well, it totally can affect your heartbeat, yeah. yeah. So I mean, if you try and do it too slow, your heartbeat can go a bit fast because you yes. can't quite enough oxygen. I no, but if I, I can control nerves through breathing, definitely, and I teach yeah. my students to. I mm. think I think maybe, maybe my friends and family wouldn't agree, but I think it has enabled me, one of the things that enabled me to become calmer as I got older. I didn't, I mean, I think some people have a much, much harder time in childhood than me. I do have the easiest time. Uh, I don't think it's ever that easy being a sensitive. I mean, I think somebody who plays music is is somebody who's probably got a layer or two of skin missing in terms of sensitivity. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. and and you feel things, you feel things deeply, and and I mean, I didn't have an especially unhappy childhood. I mean, it was the usual kind of alcoholism from parents and God knows <laughs> what, and mm. and you know, and and divorce and and trauma later, but. I know many, many other people who've had far worse things mm. and come out of it without the sensitivity, mm. without the sort of, you know, and, and pain. I mean, you're, you're such an advocate for music education, yeah. you know, and the importance of music. I mean, do you see that as, you know, not finding the next Nicholas Daniel on the oboe, but as a source of well-being, as a source of oh. confidence, of responsibility, of all of, of the above, uh, you know, friendships, organisation. Yes. I've you got know. goosebumps as you're saying that right now because yeah. it's exactly what I I think that feel very strongly. Mm -hmm. I I was very moved by a visit I did made recently, um, probably a year and a half ago now, to to a school in Newham in East London where they've had a scheme called Every Child a Musician. The new mayor of Newham and her uh, colleagues have voted to to uh, abolish it. Oh, goodness. Um, oh. Which I'm horrified by, and it's been watered down. They still have some of the elements. Mm -hmm. This, this, this vis I mean, some of the things that the children said and just the way they were, you could see that it was, and this is every single child, having four years of free musical instrument tuition in primary school. 
the school I went to, before they started this 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 scheme, they um, were they have sixty percent of the children don't have English as a foreign language. Mm. Um, a, a much much larger, I think double the number are from what they call um, uh, need backgrounds with need with extra extra help required. A very large number of asylum seekers in that borough as well. Uh, people who've lived through terrible things. Some of some of the children are unable to speak, but they can because everybody's doing it. They'll stand up in an assembly in front of the whole school and play a piece on the guitar or the recorder. Yeah. The confidence that gives those children. Absolutely. You see, when I heard they were making them all do grade exams through London College of Music and and all stand up and play in assemblies, I was like, well, isn't that isn't that quite tough? A bit chat of me thinking like you know being a bit of a snowflake. No, they all absolutely, even a child who, who came from a very, very, very difficult background in an African country, mm-hmm. who was una- really unable to communicate at all, did her grade two on her instrument and stood up in front of the school and she accepted the certificate from the head teacher as oh, well. Yeah. And um, yes, it, it does, uh, the un- non-verbal communication, absolutely essential, working in little groups, playing together. Um, some more individual attention so small groups of three actually i saw a doubled up group because there was a teacher in the floor i have seven but that individual attention for half an hour with a tea with a kind and patient teacher uh absolutely wonderful the the, the coordination the left right brain coordination mm. of doing two different things in each hand um that school started off in the lowest um 10 percent of academic achievement and by the time that that they'd finished that school before this scheme was brought in it would be about the same a little somewhat better the teaching i saw the teachers i met were remarkable but with every child a musician they ended up in the top 12 percent of academic achievement in the whole country so they'd gone from the bottom 10 percent to the top 12 percent only by introducing music lessons if that was a medicine it would be in the tap water absolutely right yes i know it's not rocket science so but we're we're i mean you know it's so hard to the thing is there's hard data absolutely and i mean you're someone who has literally traveled the world Mm. you know for for a great number of years now and and in a way the, the power of music is absolutely universal. You know, it's, we have to concentrate on the territory that we, we live in, mm. obviously, but, you know, the same, the same elements come through in every, every part of the world. That's very know. true, but the thing is, it, doesn't, it shouldn't have to be in a society like Britain's. It shouldn't have to be just the rich kids mm. that have mm. the opportunities. And I'm not talking, it's not necessarily about about um, black and minority ethnic at all it's actually there's some very poor white kids out there too with absolutely no opportunities it's both Mm -hmm. there there needs to be the the thing is it has to be like a a broad understanding that 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 the art that the arts or that um, literature painting music are part of what create a whole person Mm. and create confidence in a person i mean the the um, in in Newham the the confidence levels you you can sense it um, and also watching kids the lesson I saw there was one kid who was finding it much harder than the others and the general feeling of celebration when he was given personal time and then achieved something from all of the children just yeah. lifted him yes and it was it was beautiful to see but you know I think you've got to work with what's there but you're you're right it 
there are so many places in the world that have a much harder time than we do. Um, but at the same time, a society like ours, which is not that different from Germany's, should be able to provide similar opportunities for their children as the German children are, are, are currently given. Mm. What do you think is the future of the oboe? Oh, there's an instrument, it's music, it's players, the styles of playing. Wow. You know. Well, I, I mean, it's one of the things is that we have an advantage, which is that it is an orchestral instrument. So there's, a, there's a, a wealth of great music written, which includes the oboe. And people seem to want to listen to older music um, continually. Uh, and I think older music on some kind of diets is... is uh, some people's listening is, is more prevalent than newer music. But at the same time, I would like to think that in the future, um, people will look at the body of work I've commissioned and say, well, actually, there's everything there to build a whole career without being in an orchestra. I mean, I've taught some people who I think could do that. And I've got some students of mine who are doing that, mm. a few. Mm. Um, and that's where we have quite similar careers in a way. Yes, you know, yes, we've exactly. both had to, to create the repertoire and encourage the composers. Yes. And it is possible for people to sustain full time careers as soloists. Well I think that I think I'm very lucky to have a Baroque repertoire. <laughs> I <Yeah>. think <laughs> I mean it makes your, your whole I mean look I look at this room full of these amazing instruments and you've had to create and, and find it of course it's the oldest instrument percussion isn't it but mm. apart from the human voice but I, i've had to maybe even older yes <laughs> but yes, i've had to definitely. you know I, I haven't had to sort of go and find what seeds from wherever that is and pieces of clay from wherever that is and <laughs> this amazing wood looks like a, a god and then these beautiful bells i haven't had to do that and i have a precedent Yes, but, but I, um, I still feel though that it's the person as a whole. I mm -hmm. mean, you can have you can line up ten great oboists, mm -hmm. but it's how that person communicates. And I think that the commitment, the passion, the devotion mm -hmm. to every note you play, mm -hmm. the audience feels that, and that's yeah. quite a different. I mean, I'm not just no, blowing your head so up. But it's just no, I, so I appreciate it. Does I mean, make a difference. I think you're read. You're giving me a read actually is very nice <laughs> <laughs> no I, I appreciate what you say and I, I mean it I, I want I mean the thing is you get to know yourself after a certain length of time and and I'm somebody I'm, I'm absolutely all or nothing mm. so when I commit to I mean at the moment I'm just in the middle of learning a piece so but from from C to D is one note and there's a C sharp in the middle of it mm. and this 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 work divides that C to D into eight parts so I'm playing one seventh tones, quarter tones, third tones, fifth tones. So it's an it's an incredible division of one single note into mm -hmm. eight different parts. I'm s I'm absolutely sweating about it. It's really I've done a piece by this composer Svenningo Koch before, and it was hard then. Mm -hmm. But I'm absolutely committed to doing it because he's an ama he's like a microtonal Schubert. <laughs> yeah. He's remarkable, and yeah, I think. What's the point of doing anything if you don't give it a hundred percent? There's no point. You yeah. might as well go home and I mean, make do, you, a cup do, of tea. do you think people's listening skills are changing because they can now go on YouTube and see you play? As an example, you know. Well, uh, it's and, funny and, you and say that, but it's not. It's not only. It's not only hearing one play. I think the thing is, the world has become more visual, and I'm sure that in terms of of um, uh, of promotion, 
that the visual side of it has become much much more important than it used to be possibly as important as the listening side but I was very moved the other day by um, a message from uh, somebody I don't know him very well and he's somebody who's having quite a lot of challenges in his life he's, he's going to be great he's doing great but and he just said how one performance of mine on YouTube which has had a, a remarkable number of listeners nearly a million actually and I mean just for one track I, it's, mm. it's, it's just, and the thing is the numbers just don't make any sense to me when you st when you look at the YouTube statistics to see how many thousand people a day are listening to it it's just mm -hmm. ridiculous but anyway he he just said it had saved and changed his life and I I was so shocked to read it because I mean most of the time you you can't think about what effect you have on people because it would it would drive you mad and also it wouldn't end up being very good for you never get through the yeah. door your head would be so big mm. so you have to keep all that under control but I just occasionally I when something like that happens I think well it's a long time ago I did that 10 years ago probably but it's still resonating people can still see it there mm. and it's Mozart concerto and it's and it's a wonderful piece and it was mm. an amazing occasion but you never, you never know what you put out there. Mm. I mean, it could be aliens receive it from an, on another galaxy <laughs> because of the waves, and they think maybe, well, if, if people like that people like that are so scary on the Earth playing an oboe, <laughs> what is that thing? Is it, is it going to hurt us? Will it? Will the sound waves damage us? But mostly, it's like you put something out there, and there's a sense of you have a sense of trust that what you do will be received in the right way but you never know how it'll be received sure absolutely so it's a it's a, it really is a question of you give out without any expectation and that's as it should be and be honest to yourself well that is the most important thing of all and that's what this young man is dealing with mm, mm. um and uh i in in my own life in my personal life i've had to face that too because mm. um it with my sexuality it was very much that I thought it was one thing and then I fell in love with a Polish mortgage advisor called Piotr mm. and I had two teenage children at the time and a really quite celebrated marriage I think you could say inside mm. our little profession um, certainly a very happy marriage in terms of, of you know no arguments no, no real stress and then I just found myself absolutely polaxed by falling in so strongly in love with somebody that it felt like a religious experience and it was so absolutely overwhelming and powerful and all-consuming that music suddenly burnt me as though it was just written um, and everything I just I just knew that there was not enough power in me to deny it mm. And that involved a huge amount of admitting to myself who I was, not just about being gay, but about being someone who had the the inner space to fall in love with somebody, and it did so much to me. I mean, I, I'm happy to say that we're married and we're all terrific friends, and we, we have Christmases together, and, and, and yeah. even my ex-wife's mother adores my husband, which is <laughs> not something everybody can say. Um, <laughs> but so it, it, but I it, didn't it, kind I of mean, intend to talk about this, but it, and I've never talked that much about it publicly, but I think in a way it's, it's been made clear to me that it's important that mm. you, you say it's so important to be yourself. I mean, that is the deepest thing. That is the most, single most important thing 
the uh, personal authenticity and honesty and uh, and it's as it's as important as an artist as it is for anybody i mean i don't believe that any musician is going to be a terribly good politician no I because mean, they're not able to lie in the way you have yes, to well <laughs> i mean that's that is interesting because in a way you know what you're you're saying is that as a musician we're bearing all you know our ingredient happens to be sound but the journey of creating that sound has come from all sorts of personal journeys often Absolutely. you know and yeah. and that interpretation of the music will always change just as a relationship does you know and i yeah. think that you know it's been absolutely fascinating just the journey that you have had you yeah. know professionally and personally yeah. and the admiration of being so true and so honest and keeping everything true and honest mm. with everybody you know whether it's your children your ex-wife yeah. and all of the the extended family yeah exactly and that yeah. that's extraordinary yeah i mean the thing is that it it's it's quite good to be able to look at it now with a bit of perspective. I mean, we've been together mm. for about 12 years, which is like a gay 120. That's, that's um, amazing. But uh, it's, it's funny because then I remember the first time it really, it really kind of escaped into the public where we kind of controlled release, control released it a bit. Um, I was going on stage at the fairly newly opened King's Place. Oh, yes. Which is gorgeous concert hall. In London, and and I was going to play Colin Matthews's duologue, which he wrote for me, which has a first metronome speed of two hundred and fifteen. <laughs> Is that all? <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, it's a bit like you know, it's like you driving the Ferrari. Oh <laughs> my heavens! Me about that. <laughs> or was it a Porsche? Yeah, and um, uh, and I thought to myself, you know, you set yourself stupid challenges sometimes, <laughs> don't you? Why do we do that? Anyway, I sort of thought, well, I, I was so nervous about going out and about facing the public for the first time since this had all kind of become public knowledge. Not public knowledge, but, you know, it had become known about for mm. our family and friends. And, and also, you know, there was a thing with the Times newspaper that, that I, um, I did actually release the information mm. myself in my own way. Um, and I walked out... And I'd said to myself, if I play these first two play pages perfectly, <laughs> it's all going to be okay. <laughs> Why I said that for the two of the hardest pages anybody's ever written for me, <laughs> at by far the fastest metronome mark I've ever had to play, I don't know. But for some reason, it went perfectly. Brilliant. So <laughs> then I thought, oh, well, it all is going to be okay in my Brilliant. innocent way. And it actually kind of was. Fantastic. So. <laughs> but how do you think your playing has changed or mm. has it, you know, or has oh, it been enormously. a natural change that would have happened anyway i know that's probably impossible well i mean the thing is the oboe is kind of like a voice and mm. i think my voice has changed and mm. the thing is the way you hear because the sound is incredibly inside your head when you play mm. so it's very different hearing recordings of yourself from some time ago i think i use my body better i think i've learned my body you know, all of us in this crazy profession we have to gradually as we go through mm. we have to read our bodies better what they want to eat before a performance it changes yes it what does, how yeah. much sleep you need how much time you need to recover from jet mm. lag with an eight hour mm. time difference or 12 hour time difference or whatever um how how sometimes you recognize that the feeling of s feeling depressed as you are is actually mid-afternoon jet lag mm -hmm. 
and then a cup of coffee and a steak will probably or a, you know or a lentil burger <laughs> will um will actually get you through yeah um mm. and so you learn about your body i think that i've learned to use my body in a more relaxed way i think mm. the thing is relaxing more and more and more relaxing the breathing relaxing not relaxing the body so that you fall over because that's mm. over relaxed but using the space in the body space. as best as you can Absolutely. and and having the having the openness mm. of the body physically i mean physically then there's, there's emotional openness as we've just discussed and, um, and do you think though also that it's you know when you're a younger player you're saying yes to everything you're mm. there's a, a the energy is so dynamic but as you get older you're prepared to say no to things, to decline well, things, to yeah. to just weed out your garden, as it were. You know, your your I don't your know how diary. Good I am at doing that. I mean, the trouble is that. Well, that's true. You you're, know, you're it's well, it's not. It is hard because I still am a bit of a, a kind of. I mean, I, I do feel that the instrument deserves to be really heard. So when somebody says, "Look, we we've got, we've got a fantastic tr chance to commission this composer," and then ten days before somebody in the family gets ill. And actually, I have the choice as to whether I stay with that family member or whether I go away and, and fulfil the composer's intentions. Well, I'll always go and fulfil the composer's intentions because mm. that's what I was put here to do. Um, but there's a, there's a terrible pull. Um, so I think I've, I've, lear I've learned to relax more and more. I think I can play... I think my stamina, strangely, is actually even better now. People, mm. oboists... Much, I mean, like young people who are very fit, they look at my my programming and they go, "How did you do that? How did you do that? I have no idea." And I said, "Look, it's it's simply about the more you relax, the more, th and you just don't think about where you are in the piece. Just think about, and don't think about where you've got to go. Think about where you are in the moment. Be in the moment. Don't think forwards. Don't think backwards. Just travel along in real time." Let every breath be a thing of beauty. Mm. Let every breath be a work of art. Participate. Let the breath be a, a joint participation with your body. Uh, and I, I, I think it's a huge privilege to be able to use breath for your work. I think that's a massive, massive benefit to me. Mm. Um, and and I, I, I do think that, that I can still my whole mind and body by good breathing. Mm. So that's changed. That's better now. Um, I don't think I work any less hard because I've got better opportunities. I mean, you know, I, you, you sort of think, oh, well, in my career, I will do this and then I will plan and I will do that and then I'll, this will happen. No, nothing like that happens. <laughs> you can make the be best laid plans of mice and men and everything. And But I rather like a Louise Hay saying, which is that this now or something better. Yes. yes um, so you kind of you kind of visualize in a way you visualize um, what something like you want, and but then you say you have a codicil, <laughs> saying this now appears for me in my life, or something better. So yeah. the sort of positive attitude. Um, but I do think, interestingly enough, I think the 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 sound has changed, and and I think that the sound has changed quite a lot in recent years, and I think it it's deepened. A bit like maybe a, a, vo a soprano voice does. I mean, I remember one of my favourite singers, amazing singer, Susan Bullock. And she's probably our most famous Wagnerian soprano from this country. Mm. And 
so she has an, a voice that I remember once she was probably 40 meters behind me <laughs> and singing Britain War Requiem and it shot past me like a jumbo jet taking yes. off in a cathedral in Poland it just went <laughs> like that I could not believe wow. the noise yeah. I mean I've got goosebumps thinking about it yeah. she's got such an extraordinary voice she's a really great person she <laughs> she's very funny she, she and I have this joke joke but basically when we're, we're at the academy together and she was the 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 we did magic flute of mozart she was the queen of the night so she was a, a, a only bats and dogs can hear you soprano <laughs> and and her voice has changed so much that she's now rather than a light squeaky soprano like a kind of terrier she's actually a massive great rock violin <laughs> wolf like that and but the this conductor, who I better not say who it was, but he, he went away for about two months in the middle of rehearsals and then he came back and he was giving her a hard time or so. She said, you come back here while you've been lining your pockets at the BBC, no doubt. <laughs> oh, and she just gave him what for from the stage and he was like, <laughs> as if one can line one's pockets by the BBC these days. That's not, that's not going to happen. <laughs> dear it's it's absolutely fascinating i've learned an awful lot more about the oboe <laughs> i have to say i i really have but it's been so interesting and so interesting getting an insight into in a way how the, the kind of extraordinary machine that the body is yeah you know and how sure, much right. listening has to go into that and, and how individual we all mm, are yeah. ultimately in the decisions we make and how we how we spend time with it you, you know what I, mean? I know exactly what you mean and I, I must say that for as far as that's concerned you are an inspiration to all of us because I think the way that you've you've learned possibly a superior way <laughs> of understanding music which it, 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 it takes up your whole your whole body when you play and you feel that I watched that little video the other day of you with um it was a gorgeous very simple thing with a with a oh with omar that's yep. it yep, for the children absolutely gorgeous <laughs> and and just the focus of i mean you're not looking at him you you're hearing everything that's going on I, you know in in your amazing way and yet the focus of what you're doing is all encompassing with the instrument in front of you that being in the now i think it's just the focus of that is 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 hyper intelligent and and mm. and shows and the thing is that I remember when my kids were at uh, War Boys Primary School and I was a governor and we went to a, uh, a seminar on gifted and talented given by Frankie Williams who was the Cambridge education officer who was in charge of music at the time and she, she said there are 10 different sorts of intelligence and I said wait hang on excuse <laughs> me <laughs> one of them is perfect pitch oh yeah that's a sign of intelligence as well I mean it's, a, it's an aspect of intelligence and the thing is it's you, you're an inspiration to us all so thank you as well. Oh, thank you very much, Nick. There's plenty of cake left here. Oh my God, there's so much cake. Well, you, you, you arrive with such a large jacket, a yes. large furry jacket, so we've got to fill well, that out. You know, when you go shopping on Melrose Avenue in Los Angeles, one <laughs> simply can't, and it's rather cold, but you simply can't not buy a fluffy jacket. Oh, how posh. It is, how not, posh. It is not real fur. <laughs> oh, thank you, Nick. Thank you. There we go. Choose a bit of cake. <laughs> I don't actually have a great. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> no laughing. No. You're bad. <laughs>
like you running at the back of the elbow with your knickers around your ankles. Do you remember? No, you didn't actually do that. No, you said, I said, don't break your knicker elastic. <laughs> do you remember? She had to run from one station to the other. And I said, I said, she said, my dress is a wee bit tight around my ankles. And I said, oh, don't break it. And she was running like this, like a, sort of, like a geisha. And <laughs> tiny footsteps very fast. I said, you look like you've bust your knickers. <laughs> And in that piece, of course, which is a Thea Musgrave tunes company, and the you had to play the highest note on the oboe, yes, and this right. is the, the moment when we're both declaring love for each yes, other, you exactly. know, and the highest note in the oboe, even for you, every vein is <laughs> popping out in the red, you know, like, as you said, an exploding raspberry, and I'm meant to be standing there saying, oh, I love you, I love you, and all <laughs> But then I offer you my hand and you step down. Yes. yes. Yes, I'm sure you're just going to go poof. (laughs) I would like to say a very special thank you to Audio Network for supporting my podcast. Thank you for listening. And before you go, I have a little question for you. What type of breathing do snake charmers use? Well, share your answers with me on Twitter using the hashtag The Evelyn Glennie Podcast and I'll see you in my next one.